This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Hi everyone, my name is Alexandra Helen Nicholas. I'm a film critic at Triple R and a co-editor of the film journal Senses of Cinema and I've written a couple of books, four books on horror film, which I am here to talk to Joseph about tonight. I need to grab mine. Before I run off awkwardly, um, I would like to thank Film Inc and Acme and Umbrella for organising this quite remarkable event. Um, And in particular, Joseph, you for making this film in the first place and for sharing with us That's tonight. That's right. Yeah. Beautiful, Anytime. bleak, beautiful, bleak <laughs> film, which I have to say has one of the most miserable masturbation scenes I've seen in a very, very long time. <laughs> Round of applause! Come on. Anytime, guys. Visit, visit my bedroom. Visit my. Bed. That's okay. <laughs> Masturbation scene. Clap. I first heard of Observance um, in, a, in a strange way. As James said uh, when he introduced you, this film, there's a certain bit of sweet irony, I guess, to the fact that the rest of the world has already sort of seen this film and celebrated it. So mm. we're kind of coming in at the end. I first heard of Observance uh, through a film critic colleague in the UK. Anton. Who, Anton, yes, mm. at uh, Sight and Sound, who contacted me and, and basically said, there is this an amazing Australian horror film. You have to tell me all about it. Why don't I know about this? And that was the first that I'd heard of it. So I'd sort of found out about it at the end of the chain. Mm. Um, and I had that moment where I thought, should I lie? Should I sound like I'm in the loop? No. I just <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about this. Tell me about um, the strategy, I guess, that you had to take it to first Montreal, to Fantasia Fest, where I believe it. Premiered? Yeah, yeah, that was the world premiere there. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was a conscious decision um, to take it overseas first. Um, although you know we were rejected from you know Melbourne and Sydney, which sort of made that decision easier. But we we already were. I mean, I mean, we'd sort of gone out to a bunch of um, international festi- festivals first because we were sort of aware that. Um, you know, no one really gives a crap in Australia until you get that um, overseas acknowledgement first, um, and which is very unfortunate. Um, and we don't really have a proper discovery festival um, in Australia. Uh, it's more so that you know, more generalist. Like we play films that um, you know that have already done the festival circuit overseas. We bring in all the Sundance and Cannes and stuff to our major city uh, festivals. Um, and I mean, we sort of just reached this point where I was just like, okay, well, you know, we'll, you know, we'll keep on pushing, pushing ahead. Um, nearly got a number of the of the bigger ones out of North America, but we ended up going with Fantasia, mm-hmm. um, who were yeah, just incredible. Like we're just really enthusiastic um, festival. Again, it was a discovery festival. Although they, you know, they have their you know Ant Man premiere and all that stuff, but at the same time, they do have a a lot of little films um, like this one that play. And, um, yeah, it was just a really good place for it to all sort of spark. You're sort of, you know, looking for a festival where it was mainly ran by um, people that are passionate about films. They're like usually film critics and, and that fans, that sort of stuff that run it and program it. So, I mean, that sort of just changed everything for it here. 
um, yeah. It's a good mix, I think, Fantasia, which is certainly on, on the genre front, particularly with horror, it has such a strong reputation. Mm. Um, but then on the back of that, London Film Festival as well, to have that sort of more broader clout, I guess. And the, 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 the press feedback that came in from those two festivals was just remarkable. I mean, Sight yeah. and Sound and The Hollywood Reporter. Yeah, I mean, that, that sort of changed everything. Like, I think that we did our encore screening and um, there's just all these like strange people popping up in the audience that was just like, you know, Jason Blumhouse and people like mm -hmm. that that were all there. Um, and then a couple of days later, we got our review in The Hollywood Reporter and they said, you know, some really nice things about the film. And then it was just sort of going, suddenly having to go to L.A. and New York for meetings and things, which, you know, felt, you know, nice and special after, you know, struggling with this thing, you know, after I think it was about two and a half years by oh, that wow. point. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a freaking nightmare, you know, just like shooting this, you know, in our apartment that we'd completely destroyed. <laughs> and, um, you know, to go and have those sorts of meetings and stuff was really nice. And then, um, yeah, it was a shock, such a shock to get London. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have really great programming there. Um, got Acme's Claire Stewart there, you know, uh, running the show at the moment. And um, yeah, like with the, the cult section there, they had some in, insane movies playing. So it was just a, a pleasure to be a part of it. It's hard, I think, not <coughs> to position the, the broader narrative, I guess, of observance and its path to us here tonight. Uh, in reference to, of course, a, a previously successful Australian horror film, The Babadook. Mm, yeah. And I do think that the two films have a... Uh, they're very different formally and tonally, but yeah, things like grief are, are core to both of them. Yeah. Um, but again, I think they share this, this external story where I, I think The Babadook was uh, treated appallingly upon its initial release in yes, this country. Yes, it was. Um, which is just shameful. I, I think it's really mm. shameful. And my feeling after that is that any... Anybody making a horror film or genre film, perhaps in general in this country, if you want to have American accents in it, go for it. Like, if that's what you need to do to get your film out there and to get it played. But speaking to you after I saw the film, I'm, I was really fascinated to hear that that's, that's not why you made that particular choice. Could you expand on that a little bit more for us? Yeah, I mean, there was two, two reasons, one more important than the other for using American accents. Um, I didn't know that the film was going to be seen by this many people, so I'm getting a lot of shit for it at the moment. Um, I got you back. Now that we, yeah, I got you back. Yeah, That's thank right. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, we started out. Um, I mean, obviously, when we were writing the script, it was important that it did take place. I, like, I wanted the film to take place in this sort of anonymous, concrete, capitalist mm -hmm. Western place. Um, you know, hence the um, you know the, there's not universal healthcare there, which is why he has to pay back a hundred and whatever it was thousand dollars of medical bills. Um, and so that was obviously an important plot point because otherwise he wouldn't be there in the in the first place. Breaking, and breaking Bad Syndrome. Yes, it was. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I think it, it's a really relevant thing, you know, when people sort of get cut loose, you know, by by the society that they live in. It's a it's a it's a sad but growing theme at the moment, um, and that Josh and I felt relevant to us. <clears throat> and then um, secondly, you know, going back to what I just said before, was um, it taking place in that anonymous space? Um, you know, where you, it doesn't, like, it, I just felt that if it would have been set in Sydney, um, it's just like, you know, because they're not, you know, we, we don't have these huge mega cities like they do in, in North America and it just being like, well, 
you know, where in Sydney is it? Oh, Rosal, well, there's a lovely cafe around the corner. Why doesn't he just go sit there? It's fine. Pop into the Why Medicare is he so office, miserable all the yeah. time? <laughs> yeah. And um, it was, yeah, it needed to sort of exist in, in that space for, for the story to really work and, and to really say what we, we were trying to say with the film. I find that really fascinating. On the, I think my f- three favourite Australian films of the last 12 months <coughs> are uh, Ariel Kleiman's Partisan, mm-hmm. uh, Fury Road and, and Observance. And I find it really oh, interesting that each three really takes place in a... They're Australian films, but not Australian films. They mm. all, in different ways, take place in a kind of... a place called un-Australia. Mm. You know, there's this really interesting trend, I think, that, that Observance is um, a part of. And I don't think it's a conscious trend i think i mean obviously this film's here it says an awful lot about us though still i think so i think it's more than a coincidence that these three films have popped up Mm. um from this particular context yeah i think i think that with that is just that you know it it is like i'm like i grew up in england and i came here i've been living here for 11 years now and um you know it's an incredible country we have just probably you know some of the best creative people in the entire world um but you know our own cultural identity is just you've not I'm just ne- I've never been really sure what it is um and so that's why I think you know we do sort of mirror a lot of what you know America um is and um and with the UK that sort of stuff um and so I, that's why I think we find that you know I don't know whether this is actually relevant at all but you know that um we're sort of telling films making films that do exist in that that other space absolutely mm. kind of creating its own space or mm. another space because there is no concrete space to lock it down in the first place yeah. tying into this idea of identity um i write a lot of notes so I've, I've seen this film probably five or six i think this would be about my sixth time now and every okay. time i watch it it's there's something i watch it in a very different way and i love films like that that are, you're sort of constantly unpacking like mm. a little puzzle box um the first time i saw it i wrote furious notes and in the big big capital letters underlined on the side it was uh i knew that i'd be interviewing you and i i wrote remember ask about the casting of creepy walter and it was only when i checked IMDb <laughs> afterwards that i realized that you made a cameo as creepy walter yeah this is a compliment by the way thank you why why did you decide to play creepy well you did a great job why i'm tell I me needed about someone tell me with about you no emotional walter. range at all <laughs> And uh, you brought that. I mean. And I, yeah, I think I did all right at that. But um, I, th- I think it was just running out of time, that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, we broke into Callum Park, which is the mental asylum. Um, and I was just like, it was, I think that we, we did that bit in winter, actually. So we did that at the other end of the year, um, like more towards the end of the editing process. And um, yeah, I, Josh just covered me in chocolate stuff. And that was the blood and all that crap with all the photographs and things. Um, so we sort of just did all of that in a, in a weekend. And it was just because we were rushing to get it done um, and that I do look creepy. As, as, as far as director cameos go, I think it's up there, which leads mm. us to a little mention in the um, thank yous of the mm. film to one particular Mrs. Thorwald. Oh, right. I, I actually can't. <laughs> I don't know why that's there. Alice is here. Why is it there? Oh, yeah, we used a fake head. Oh, that's nice. I was going, that's the, <laughs> there's a little Hitchcock. There was the connection there. A little Hitchcock love there and a little director cameo. <clears throat> a la Hitchcock. <laughs> there's also, um, I mean, there's so much going on in this film. What strikes me is how, I think the power of this film for me is how perfectly it's bookended. Um, the first time I saw this film, I, I 
I think like a lot of people who have seen this film for the first time tonight, that it's, it's Parker's story. He's our victim hero. He's the guy that we're kind of on side with. And it's only when you get to the, really, to the end of the film that you realise that you've kind of misread the, that kind of moral alignment, I guess more than identification, that, mm. that things are actually quite different from the way that we see them. And I think that that becomes very clear by the way that the character of Tennille is used to bookend the film. Mm-hmm. So we begin following, we're very much from her kind of in her world when the film starts, it feels like it's Tennille's film. Yeah. And it's it's taken away from her and it becomes Parker's film. But the end of the ter- film returns that to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I've spoken to you previously, um, you've mentioned her as a, in terms of that kind of Hitchcock blonde tradition. Mm. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. I think it's a really fascinating link. Um, I thought it was interesting. I mean, the, the the in terms of the perspective of the story, we in the writing process, we created quite a... Um, a complex world, you know, with all these different things going on, um, and we chose to tell the the story, um, you know, beginning when they very first meet each other, when they first encounter each other, and then at the end is obviously when they part ways after he kills her. Um, and a lot of it is all, I mean, the the film's called Observance. It's all about perspectives, um, and even you know, down to the way we shot it, and wanted the audience to you know sort of question their own perspective of what it of what it is, but also, um, yeah, just with that whole Hitchcock blonde thing with the, with the voyeurism, um, I mean, it still really is here, exists in, um, in our culture, which I think is a really gross thing. But um, it was what I, I mean, whether I did it right or not, um, I wanted to sort of just, yeah, literally just, you know, show her as that sort of archetype, this kind of just thing that he's looking at and voyeuring at. And um, and then when it switches perspective, you do um, back to her in, the, in that at the beginning of the third act that you are sort of met with a, a real person, um, and it really does hit you and draw you into her and know that this is a, a real person, not just this um, uh, dramatic device um, as a way of you know just stating the you know the the way the reality of the story really was. Um, whether that works for people or not, I'm I'm not sure. But I mean, that's what I was trying to to get at with it. It certainly worked for me. There's a, a quote that I read from you where <clears> you, you said that the male gaze is a corrupting force, mm. and I think that this film brings that to life in in quite a memorable way. Mm. Um, and if anything, I mean, not not wanting to harp on on the Hitchcock mm. kind of focal yeah. point with Rear Window, but it made me realise it sort of stripped away so much of the the kind of glamour, you know, the, the beautiful Grace Kelly frocks. And it's like, Rear Window is a film about domestic violence. It's about people. Absolutely, Just yeah. kind of watch. I mean, that's what that film is about. And we see that on the news every night. We, we've just had a royal commission in this state about mm. the kinds of crimes that we see in films like Rear Window and, and, and Observance. Mm. Um, and, and it almost feels in a way that Observance for me was almost like deconstructing the, the kind of glamour, I guess, of, of Rear Window. Yeah, um, it's just weirdly sexualised, you know. All, you know, you see all these, you know, different stories and films and um, and the way we do perceive, you know, women in that way. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I was um, trying to do with it, essentially. But, um, and it, it was, you know, it really is just trying to break away from that Hitchcock thing where it was... Um, you know, just trying to, to break that archetype sort of thing and really draw you inside a character, which is something that I'm much more interested in rather than it being, um, 
you know, these big sort of sweeping scenes of just like, you know, um, suspense, this, that and the other. It was more of a focus on this coming dread um, and this deeper connection with the characters as real passive people um, rather than something where you already have an expectation of them as soon as you, you know, see them in the context of a film. I think from that perspective, the, the um, comparisons that some film critics have made with this and um, Polanski's Apartment trilogy in particular, I think are really, really bang on. Mm. The, particularly the kind of paranoia of repulsion and the tenant, <coughs> but also the kind of conspiracy stuff going on in Rosemary's Baby. I think that all, yeah. that all really ties in. I love, I love the title of the film. The title of this movie is something that's really stayed with me. I was very fortunate when I first watched it. You gave me the little tip, which was watch it wearing make sure that you're wearing really good headphones mm. um which i probably wouldn't have done if i wasn't told and i thought why would a film called observance about vision why would i need to wear really good headphones and it was it was i realized watching the film that that this this emphasis on the visual mm. it's almost a little trap it, it's sort of we're really encouraged i think not not just in your film but film in general we call them movies moving pictures we we fetishize the visual you know, we see cameras, you know, surveillance um, in cinema. I mean, found footage horror film. Mm. It's a thing. We really privilege the visual over the other senses. Um, when I started thinking about sound in this film and how sound works, it really, it's almost a challenge to step away from the visual, to, to start questioning yeah. observation. Um, tell me more about the sound. Tell me about... Tell, yeah. Why did you tell me that? Is where I'm going with it. Yeah. Why did I tell you that? Who knows? Um, <laughs> maybe I do. Um, yeah. I mean, with the way we shot the film was, I mean, a lot of it, um, you know, as Parker moving in and out of frame, you definitely don't have, uh, you don't see the full picture. I mean, mainly because we could, didn't have the coverage, but there was, um, you know, <laughs> it, there was genuinely a, a decision there to. Um, to, to make it so that the audience's perspective of him was restricted in the same way that his perspective of, of her um, was restricted. Mm -hmm. You know, that he could only see her if she was in front of a window. Um, with the sound, um, because the film does deal with, um, I mean, the, 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 the central theme of, of, of the film and the reason why Josh Zamet, my co-writer and, and producer on this film, the reason why we both set out to make this film is because we were, we were examining our own fears. We were just like, well, what makes us scared? And we sort of honed in on this idea of, um, uh, of, of feeling powerless against invisible forces that control our lives was the thing that we wrote down. And that's sort of alluding to, you know, why do we wake up every day, brush our teeth and go do a job that we fucking hate? And, um, and it's just like this strange prison that we're not really sure. Like we think that we're free, but it's just like this strange prison that we're not really sure why we're there. And that's where the story of like a guy who's been hired to, to watch another person um, but isn't told why uh, comes from. And so it's dealing with um, uh, sort of deeper themes. Um, and with sound, you can um, hone in on... Um, on those more abstract themes. It's a much more abstract medium. It's just like when you listen to um, to music, um, there's, you know, whether it's, you know, like for me, it's never just like, oh, I just really love the lyrics or whatever to it. It's um, with, with sound, it's just an abstract thing that you just connect with for some reason. Um, and you can do so much with a horror film, turns out, um, with telling that story, um, you know, with even just with the, the subtle descent of the apartment into the dark ocean, 
um, was told very subtly, just there in the background. Um, and so it was an enormous part of the experience of watching the film is, of, is told through uh, the sound. Um, and I feel like a lot more of the truth um, and your own interpretation of it is, um, is felt more through that part of the, um, of the medium is my answer to your question. <laughs> I love that. There's a clue in the film, which is just stop watching. I mm. love that line. I love how he recoils, stop watching. It's yeah. fabulous. We're going to take some questions. We have some roaming uh, microphones. Does anybody have any questions for Joseph? Hi. Um, Hi. What camera and lenses did you use to shoot the film on? Um, we shot on the Alexa and then all the close-up macro stuff um, was just 5D. It was just me and Josh in my apartment. All the stuff at the end with the blood, I just shaved Josh's arm. Um, so that was easy. Did it, did it grow back? Dunno, I no. <laughs> need to check in. Um, yeah, like it was my eye that gets slit and my thumb that I cut. If there's a hand in the film, it's probably mine. Um, yeah, we just sort of piece it together like that. So a lot of the um, cutaways, I mean, the way we generally shot it was, um, uh, I was with, with um, it was like, I think they switched because we got the gear really cheap. Um, with VA, I mean, they were really lovely, um, but they kept switching the lenses and it was a bit annoying, but I ended up with like the, that, it was all just like, we got that, pri um, all prime lenses of some sort. I can't remember. It was all always changing. Um, but yeah, I think like we mainly just used the 25 for a lot of the apartment stuff. I tried to push a lot of the 50 mil, but I it was just a bit too much of a smaller space with the handheld stuff. Um, and there wasn't much light because um, we didn't really have anywhere to put proper lights. Um, uh, so I had to abandon that a lot of the time because it was just too, you know, it was just too hard with focus. With you know, We shot it in 11 days as well, so it was just a nightmare doing it. It was like 17-hour days. Um, but it was, yeah. It was hot too, <clears throat> wasn't it? It was the hottest it's ever been in Sydney. <laughs> Uh, the, hot, the hottest uh, day of all time, of you know, recorded at least in Sydney, um, was the day that we shot the vomiting scene with, with Lindsay. Uh, your, your first feature had another vomiting scene and if yeah. bad behaviour had a great... You, you do good vomit. Thank it's, you. Yeah, it's all right. It's, it's my right. pleasure. Yeah, any time. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I always have um, vomiting and wanking scenes. But we'll keep that for another Q&A perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Another time. But yeah, the, um, yeah, I think I answered your question, didn't I? Yeah, cameras, lenses. Any other questions? Oh, sorry to sound nosy, but I am dying to know, what did you end up using for the vomit? Um, it was, yeah, that glucose stuff. And then they had to, I remember they had to drive for ages for black ink stuff. Was it squid ink? Oh, okay, yeah. God, that would have been gross, Squid Ink. I yeah, should have just done that. Squid Ink would have been um, really, yeah. Yeah, but then, because Josh was underneath Lindsay when he was doing it, and um, it, for some reason it was in a glass, and the glass smashed, and, he just, and Josh just kept holding it there for some reason, and so he just started eating glass. 
There's this little interesting thing there. But uh, a little treat for the DVD yeah. commentary. <laughs> a little treat for all of you here. <laughs> Any other questions? Uh, hello. Uh, hi. Uh, just over to the right. Um, my question is, when you guys finished the script, did you guys <coughs> go through any sort of external feedback process before you decided to pick up the camera or did you just run with it and go with it? We just ran with it because we knew that it was really weird and everyone would tell us not to make it. <laughs> Hi. Hello. You said that um, you broke into a mental asylum for one of, the, one of the shots where you were in it, I think. Mm -hmm. um, where are you? Yeah. Oh, hi. How much of the film, like, for the exteriors did you have permits for? And um, how We got no and, permits for anything. And which, what problems did you run into? Are there into any cops here tonight? Can later <laughs> down the track because of that? Or did you run into any problems? No, you just... With um, sales agents, because they're usually outside of Australia anyway, um, you just don't tell them or you make <laughs> it up. They don't give a shit. Oh, you just get the E&O insurance, um, which you just have to get anyway. I mean, <laughs> that's how I did it. I mean, with a little film like this, I don't think it really matters too much. I mean, we sort of went in and... Uh, I mean, if it was, would have been like, you know, five of us running around St. James Station... Um, breaking into the mental asylum. It was just me and Josh. Um, where else did we go? We just shot in a park um, for that scene at the end of the film when she's walking through the park with Roger Ward. Yeah, um, I don't really... I just didn't care because I was like, I'm making a weird art film. No one's going to watch it anyway. Um, but there's been no trouble so far. <laughs> so that's nice. Hello, I've got the microphone working now. <laughs> um, I was just interested because I do think it's quite different for some of the other horror movies I've seen. Mm -hmm. uh, what tradition you've been inspired by because it's, yeah, it is quite different and you just said it was a weird art movie so I thought you might have a broader inspiration than just horror. Um, I mean, I was, we did sort of set out, like I made a film before this called Bad Behaviour which was... Um, you know, looking back on it now, um, it sort of feels like a collage of all these films that I loved when I was a kid. Um, and I've kind of re really been turned off movies that are sort of based around nostalgia, which I feel like is most movies now. Um, and you're always asked, like, you know, what are your influences? And then when you want to make a movie, they're all just like, you have to do the thing where you go, it's this meets this. And I'm, we were just like, well, we want it to, you know, the idea was it was just like almost like therapy for me and Josh, just going and spending the summer going, make, going and making a, a movie and expressing something you know, about ourselves. And so we were trying to make it so we were sort of, you know, inspired by, um, you know, from something inside of ourselves and, you know, working from our own initiative. Um, I wasn't ever really thinking of, Oh, it'll be like this, or it'll be like that. I mean, there's been some really, really lovely comparisons, like flattering comparisons that have been made. Um, but I was never... I mean, that there, I mean, there's an argument that everything you watch somehow subconsciously 
influences you in some way, and so you know that was possibly happening in some way. Um, but really, there was <clears throat> there was um, nothing that I was really aiming for, and everyone was just like, "Oh, it's really similar to you know like Repulsion and films like that, like you know." All that sort of stuff, and like I still haven't seen the tenant, and I hadn't. I watched um, Repulsion last year, like three years after we shot the film, and that sort of stuff. So it's really lovely that people like I watch them, those movies, and I'm like, wow, this, these are insane. Um, they're a lot better than Observance, but uh, <laughs> I should have just done it that way. But um, but yeah, no, I was never aiming uh, um, to be sort of influenced or be referencing anything in particular. Thank you all for coming tonight. Thank you, Acme and Film Inc. and Umbrella. And most of all, thank you, Joseph, for sharing your strange, beautiful beast of a film with us. Thank you very much, and thank you. Thank you all. Thanks. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website.